Merry Christmas, Ashworth family. I assume by the time you're watching this, the presents are all unwrapped and the parents of young children are wondering, when is it socially acceptable to take a nap on Christmas Day? Christmas morning is such an interesting time, isn't it? When kids are young, they make their lists, they tell Santa what they want, and they wait. And on Christmas morning, they come down, they're so excited, they rip off the wrapping, and their faces light up in excitement and surprise when they unwrap something they'd really wanted. But what can be a moment of elation is short-lived as they move on to the next gift. Or worse yet, they open the gifts only to toss them aside and play with the boxes instead. You know, that trend usually doesn't last forever. It certainly doesn't last usually into the teenage years. Usually all Santa's hard work is met with less enthusiasm because after all, I got what I asked for. And on the rare occasion, you can actually surprise someone with a gift they wanted but didn't know they would get. That is the sweet spot. Well, just so you know, this, this spirit around Christmas has been around since Jesus's time when he entered our humanity in the flesh. From the unexpected way he was born in the humble village of Bethlehem to the way he ministered and taught up to and including his death and resurrection. If we aren't careful, we can look at Jesus like we do the mounds of torn wrapping paper and empty boxes and think, is this it? Is this really what all the fuss was about? What's so fascinating about Jesus is how even those who were absolutely convinced of who he was, they had their doubts. In Matthew's gospel, we're told about an exchange between Jesus and some of the disciples of John the Baptist. John had been imprisoned for speaking out against Herod's marriage to his brother's ex-wife. And while sitting in jail, he continues to hear stories of Jesus, what Jesus was saying and teaching, and more importantly, what Jesus was doing. And this raised some questions in John's mind. No, I don't blame John. I can't begin to imagine the mental and emotional toll of being imprisoned and what that would, the effect that would have on someone. You'd probably start to question everything at some point, even your own life and what you spent your life doing. But let's look at this exchange between Jesus and John's disciples. We find it in Matthew chapter 11. There we read, When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to come to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. When they ask, are you the one? They want to know if they've been mistaken. This reference is about the Messiah, the promised one, the one who had been promised by the Old Testament prophets. And they just want to know, are you that guy? And what a swing from the enthusiastic support John had given to Jesus earlier, refusing even to baptize Jesus, because in John's words, he said, I'm unworthy to even untie his sandals, and I should be baptized by Jesus. And John was there at the baptism. As he baptized Jesus, he saw the heavens open. He saw a dove descend and he heard that voice saying, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And do you know what tripped John up? And you know what tripped up the others? Who Jesus was spending his time with, what Jesus was teaching and specifically the miracles Jesus was doing. It was a ministry so counter to their expectations. After all, if you go back and you read Isaiah, what you find is that Isaiah talked about a judgment that was to come and that's what they wanted. 
And why wouldn't John want this? Judgment on the ruling powers would have been his release from prison. It would have been the nation's release from the bondage of Roman oppression. There's an Australian New Testament scholar who wrote that it might not have been John's faith that failed, but his patience. John looked for Jesus to bring in the kingdom of God. But instead of doing this, the master was doing nothing more than move among the common people of Galilee, teaching and healing. He was making no attempt to overthrow the rulers of the country and bring in the rule of God. That's what the scholar said. But what John and many at the time failed to realize was that what they were blind to see was that Jesus was bringing in the rule of God. It's just that God doesn't need an election, a president, or a prime minister to accomplish this. And it wasn't just that Jesus wasn't overtly overthrowing the establishment. He was socializing with the wrong people. Good news for the poor was an offense to the establishment, and what Jesus was doing certainly didn't match those expectations. And while Jesus could have simply said, I said I'm the one, and that's all you should need to believe, so that's all I'm going to say. He actually reaches back to the prophets to show them what they might be missing. He talks about the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the dumb speaking, and the dead living again, things that the prophets had talked about. And what Jesus is saying is that the blessings of what is to come, those blessings of the coming kingdom of God, they are here right now. What I love about this exchange is that Jesus could have been offended. He could have gotten his feelings hurt. He could have said, oh, John, my cousin, the baptizer, the one sent by God to prepare for the way for me. How could you? But he doesn't. In fact, if you read a little further beyond what we our passage today, you see that Jesus actually says, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there is none not risen, anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And even in praising John, Jesus pushes against the wisdom of his day and ours. There is a place in God's world for those who have no place in this one, those who have been ostracized and cast out. And that truly is good news for the poor. But it becomes a more challenging message for those of us not in the poor category. And just in case you're wondering, that's probably all of us watching this video today. And in addressing John's concerns is an invitation, several invitations actually. First, it's an invitation to believe, to re-examine our ideas and presuppositions about Jesus and compare them to what we actually see recorded about Jesus in the Bible. To believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That even though it may not make sense or it may not line up with our expectations, that he is the promised one, the Messiah, the one born in an insignificant village in Bethlehem, placed in a manger. He is the Son of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And as we examine Jesus, we find another invitation. It's an invitation to surrender to surrender our viewpoints, our biases, our judgments about him and about the world and bring our understanding and our faith in line with the real Jesus. And this, this surrendering is up to and including our entire lives. The final invitation is to live the way of Jesus, realizing that it is actually pretty risky to follow Jesus. 
You see, John and many of his day were expecting judgment and overthrow of the establishment. Many think that that is the way of Jesus today. It's not. You see, it's risky and costly to follow Jesus. And while we may want what we want, we may want our truth, we may buy into this, be your truest self, what God calls us to is more and better, more than the false promises of this world, more than the temporary and fading pleasures and treasures we see around us. But as I read this week, many Christians have accepted the false idea that a life with Christ will be more comfortable, easier, and demonstrably better as the world defines better than a life without Him. However, what we find in the New Testament is the complete opposite. Those called to be with Jesus suffered sacrificed, and often died. Why did so many choose the harder road? Because they recognized the surpassing value of being with God above all else. So, as you go about the rest of your Christmas day, do so remembering, even though it isn't often what we might want, Jesus has come to bring us exactly what we need and even better than what we'd hoped. And I close with an invitation to discipleship, an invitation to follow Jesus. Good news is often scary. There is risk in change. The shepherds were terrified when they saw an angel appear, but he assured them there was nothing to fear. So when the angel left, the shepherds got up and went to witness the good news of salvation. Do not be afraid to find God in the unexpected, in the vulnerable, for God is with you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Christmas Day. Thank you for just the enjoyment of spending it with family and friends and remembering just exactly who you are and what you've done for us. God, thank you for John and his questions, God, to remind us that we can bring you our questions. But in the exchange, God, we see this reminder that even though you may not be what we expect, you are exactly what we need. And you've invited us, God, to this life beyond what anything we can imagine here. Yes, it's risky. Yes, it may be costly, but it is above all greater than anything we can find here in this world, Anything any, better than any present we could possibly under, unwrap under the tree. Because Jesus, you've told us that what you're inviting us to ultimately is abundant life. God, just I pray blessings on all the families today as they celebrate your birth and as we remember the true reason for this season. And we do give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. And God, we're so thankful for all that you've done for us and how you've continued to show yourself to us. May you just be honored and glorified. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.